It's on. Okay. Welcome everyone to week 39. It's great to have you here. Lots of new faces. It's part of the series, second part of Principles from the Writings of Rambam with Rabbi Dweck. A few quick messages. Uh, I'm sure you've all seen the journal by now and we hope that you enjoy reading it. Please share it, share it across your networks, your communities, your synagogue newsletters. You can get the word out. Also remember to subscribe to the, the new podcast and the YouTube channel. It does help. Um, there are a few people that have been working quietly behind the scenes that Sina and I would, and Rabbi Dweck would like to thank by, by name. And that's, uh, I'll just name a few. Matthew Miller from Chicago, Michael Chalk from, from Israel, Lauren Grunsfeld from New York, Asaf and Ohad Fedida and Avner Yashurun, all from Miami. And, um, and there's also others, but apologies if I haven't met. You've muted. All instrumental in the, in the release of the journal and the, the podcast and, and all technical matters. So thank you so much. Um, all your input is much appreciated. Uh, final thing from me, next week we have a very special Pesach event that has not been advertised yet. Um, you're hearing it first here. Uh, we have the pleasure of inviting, of hosting Rabbi Dr. Joshua Berman, Professor of Tanakh Studies at Barilan, who recently published Anima Amin. And he'll be in conversation with Rabbi Dweck, where they'll be talking about Torah Min HaShamayim and what that really meant to Chazal, the different Rishonim and, and the Chachamim. And I'm sure it will be a fascinating discussion, and we hope to see you all there for that. Uh, that's it from me, uh, Rabbi Bechavod. Thank you, Avi. And thank you, Sina. And thank you, everyone, for joining tonight. It's good to see you all. I'm going to say two things about tonight's shiur. The first is, it may go a little bit longer than an hour, not much longer, a little bit longer than an hour, because I want to be able to give a whole kind of picture around what it is that I'd like to share with you tonight. And two is that you need to buckle your seatbelts because it's been my experience, although you know I recognize that the members of the Habura are a bit more vetted than the general population and audience. It's been my experience and when I share these elements of principles with people, it's quite jarring. It's difficult for people to absorb because it goes against uh, much of what it is that we're used to hearing in normative Orthodox Judaism. And so uh, it's very important that we see the words so that you don't think that I'm simply paraphrasing or reading into things. Um, but at the same time, it's important to recognize that this is, I'm, you know, when I only have three classes to give principles, I'm giving the what I think to be quite substantial principles that are different, uh, markedly different than what it is that we generally tend to hear in uh, the Jewish world. So, um, so I, I just wanted to say that ahead of time, so that there's an awareness of this, because it may be that as you're listening, as we go through, it could be a bit, you know, of a rocky ride uh, from a faith-based place. Um, but I will be here to answer questions uh, in the interim and at the end. And um, yeah, I think that this is an important thing to be aware of. And, and it's this kind of thing that makes a very big difference between, um, I guess, what, what powers 
the way that we think in our Bet Midrash, as opposed to other Bate Midrash. These are one of the fundamental teachings of Harambam that is different. So here we go. I'm going to share the screen. And what I'm going to do with you tonight is I'm going to look at a piece of the Mishneh Torah. I'm going to look at a piece of the Pirusha Mishnah. And then we're going to get into a part, a major aspect of the Morin Nebuchim. We're going to get the bulk of what it is that we read tonight is going to be the Morin Nebuchim. The general idea here is that mitzvot, mitzvot of the Torah, the commandments of the Torah, are not ends in and of themselves, which means that they do not have a purpose qua themselves. In other words, the mitzvot are not goals. Kadosh Baruch Hu's desire is not that we should do the mitzvot, full stop. It's that we should do the mitzvot for other purposes. Because the mitzvot are means to an end. They are not ends in and of themselves. And so what we're going to read tonight are various points that Haramban makes that shows that. That mitzvot on their own are not ends in and of themselves. That there is a way to perform a mitzvah. That a mitzvah has a direction in which it is meant to bring you. Mitzvot can be done wrongly. And mitzvot can be done rightly. And so we're going to, and what makes them wrong or right is the end that they are aiming us towards. And if that is there, if that is, if we are, if we are focused on that, or at least aiming towards that, conscious, not conscious, then a mitzvah is a mitzvah. But if not, then it isn't. So um, there's, there's something that, that we have to look at, I think, as a preamble or as a beginning before we get into this. Um, and I'm going to bring that up. Uh, first, so that we can read that very clearly. Bear with me. Okay. Put this up for you. Okay. Before we look at Harambam, I want to look at the Torah. And what we're looking at over here is Matan Torah, Sahar Sinai. And before HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives any mitzvah to B'nai Israel at Har Sinai, right? now this is the beginning of, of giving over Torah to B'nai Israel at Har Sinai, there is a preamble that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives to Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, look, it's very important that B'nai Israel hear the following words before anything is given to them. Because mitzvot can be understood in any context, and the context will make the differences to their value, as all contexts makes the difference to whatever constituent parts are part of that context, right? Context will, will provide the value for what it is that is within the context. Change the context, change the value or the meaning. And so I'm sure all of you at one point or another have had your words, for example, taken out of context, right? Now you'll say, well, it's not what I meant. It's what I said, but it's not what I meant. And it's quite frustrating. Why is that frustrating? It's frustrating because people will say, but you said this, and they will quote you verbatim. But they will quote you out of the context in which you spoke. 
which gave the meaning to the words that you spoke. And so when words are taken out of context, they lose their meaning. And they can be provided another alternative context, and a new meaning will be provided upon the exact same words. And I don't think that that's something that you need a lot of proof for, because if you have ever had your words taken out of context, I have more than once, if you've ever had your words taken out of context, you know how infuriating and frustrating it can be because you can't exactly say, well, I didn't say that. What you have to say is, well, I didn't mean that. And good luck with that. So, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God, before he gives the mitzvot to Moshe, says, listen, this is very important, Moshe. You must say the following things to B'nai Israel before you give them mitzvot, because these things are the things, these words will provide the context for everything that comes afterwards. So you'll notice that the words are quite meticulous over here. Pay attention. Moshe goes up to God. God calls to him from the mountain saying, This is what you say to the house of Israel, to the children, to the house of Yaakov, to the children of Israel. What do you say? You saw all that I did to Egypt. I took you on the wings of eagles and I brought you to me. If you listen to me, you listen to my voice, and you watch and protect my covenant. You'll be a treasure to me from all the nations. For after all, all of the land is mine. And the nations are mine. And I will make you special. You will be for me a kingdom of Kohanim, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to B'nai Israel. So it starts, look how careful it is. These are the things that you have to say, right, to B'nai Israel. Rashi says on this, he's just quoting a midrash. Say, all of that kotomar is to say, don't mess this up, Moshe. Get this right. Because if you don't get this right, it's all out the window. And indeed, it says, Moshe gave all of that in front of them. So why is that important? Because it sets the context. And what is the context? The covenant. The relationship. You saw I brought you out of Egypt on the wings of eagles. I brought you to me. You'll be for me a treasure. A special people. I will be for you a God. That's the context of the whole thing. It's about you, B'nai Israel, and me. It's about our connection. They need to hear them. It's what in those terms. Based on that, it's important for us to recognize that a mitzvah then is given this context. This is what a mitzvah is. And if a mitzvah is performed outside of this context, it is no longer a mitzvah. Yes, you heard me right. If a mitzvah is performed outside of this context, it is no longer a mitzvah. 
So let's see what Harambam writes about it. The first place that I'd like to look is in Hilchot Teshuvah. Hilchot Teshuvah Harambam provides the context of Teshuvah for the mitzvah. What is the context of Teshuvah? Returning to God, right? In other words, a mitzvah can be performed outside of that return and conscious contact and connection with God, or a mitzvah can be performed within that connection and contact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he gives an example over here. Listen to this. This is Chot Teshuvah Zayin. Kama me'ulam ala Teshuvah Ramam. He says, look how amazing Teshuvah is. Emesh, just yesterday, hayazim uvdal ma'adunay ruhe Yisrael. This person, just yesterday, before Teshuvah, was separated from God, the Lord of Israel. Shnei Amar, it explicitly says in the book of Yeshaya, Avonotechem ayum abdilim b'niyu b'neiruchem. Your 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 iniquities have separated you from me. You it's distanced you from me. What does distance mean? Well, tell you what distance means. Sorayek ve'no ne'ana. You call out to me. Nobody answers you. It says, You can pray all you want. I'm not listening. Now listen to the next line. You do mitzvot, they rip them up in front of you. As it says, Who asked you to trample my courtyards? I asked you to come into my house? You traipsing through my courtyards, doing whatever it is that you think you should be doing when it has nothing to do with what, is the, with what it is that I commanded you to do? What do you mean I didn't command us to do it? We're doing exactly what the halacha says. Yeah, it's wonderful, but the whole context within which you're doing it has nothing to do with why is that I commanded it. I want you to pay very much attention over here that it does not say that a person is doing averot before Teshubah. And after Teshubah, they're doing mitzvot. What it says is they're doing mitzvot. But they rip them up in front of them. Which means the mitzvot are not recognized or accepted. They're ripped up. Which already implies, more than implies, says quite frankly, that a mitzvah on its own is not sufficient. To the contrary, it could very well be that it's so not sufficient that it is looked at as garbage. And it's ripped up like garbage. And we see that once a person returns in Teshuvah, once a person comes back into context, the context that was mentioned by Moshe at Har Sinai before any halachot were mentioned, which is, I'm your God, you're my people, we are, you're a treasure to me, we have a relationship and covenant that you protect, you listen to my voice, you, yeah, all of that, when that's running, well, that's called Teshuvah. And when a person is in the state of Teshubah, when they've returned in their connection to Kadosh Baruch Hu, well, they call out their answer immediately. Why wouldn't I answer you? We have a covenant. We have an agreement. It says, Before you call out, I'll answer to you. He does the very same mitzvot that he was doing before, that they were ripping up. They're accepted so calmly. As a matter of fact, they're very, they joy, rejoice in receiving them. As it says, God's already accepted everything you've done. Don't worry about it. Not only that, there's this yearning of Akadosh Baruch Hu for the mitzvot. As it says, 
Kadosh Baruch Hu, he looks forward to it. It's, it's pleasant and wonderful to him. So that's the first thing that I want to show you. And it's very important to recognize that mitzvot don't stand on their own. And just because you do a mitzvah doesn't mean that you're doing something good. And when I say mitzvah, I'm of course borrowing the term. Because mitzvah literally means commandment. And commandment is only a commandment when it is what HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu did not command acts alone. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded a framework within which the acts should be performed. And when the acts are performed outside the framework, they are not commandments. They may look like commandments. They may smell like commandments. They may feel like commandments. But they're not commandments. So when people tell you on Yom Kippur, for example, just do another mitzvah, take another mitzvah on. That's poor advice. It's poor advice because if the context within which you're doing the mitzvot is already a problem, taking another one on is not going to help. And what we're going to find is HaKadosh Baruch Hu actually is not interested in the number of mitzvot that you or I do. So that is a side problem. Because what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is interested in is in the quality of mitzvot that we do, not the quantity of mitzvot that we do. I want to be very clear. I don't mean by that that you can do a few mitzvot and then sin the rest of the time. Let's not make that mistake. Yeah, I just want to say that out. What I'm saying is is that the number of mitzvot is not what HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking for. Harambam teaches us. What HaKadosh Baruch Hu is looking for is the connection, the relationship that is created through the performance of a mitzvah. And guess what Harambam teaches us? All you need is one. Now, you do more than one, it's phenomenal, right? But it's one, and then it's a life that is working on trying to get one. But do not make the mistake of thinking that the more mitzvot you do, the better. More is not necessarily better. Depth, quality, consciousness, that's better. How do I know that? Well, I know that from the halacha that I just read you, first of all that it is possible to do mitzvot and that they are ripped up in your face. That they don't stand on their own. And that means that a person can do a mitzvah to the letter of the law. Follow every halacha. Get it all perfectly logistically. And still it is ripped up. Because the context in which it is being performed is faulty. And that is why HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Bnei Israel, who asked you to traipse through my courtyard? What do you mean who asked us to traipse through your courtyard? You said, we have to come to the Beit HaMikdash and do these things. I don't understand. Well, no, that's not what I asked you. As you'll see in a moment. So let's take a look at the, fa- at the question around the number of mitzvot, right? Where, where this, the advice to do more mitzvot, to take on another mitzvah, is poor advice based on what it is that we understand about the nature of the Torah. Let's have a look at the last Mishnah in Masichet Makot. 
The last Mishnah in Masechim Nakot is one that many people tend to know because we say it all the time. Rabbi Hananiah ben Akashia Omer. Rabbi Hananiah, the son of Akashia, says, you know, Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Zakot Yisrael. You know, we know that God has a desire to give merit to Israel. I mean, that's why he gave us so much in abundance of Torah and mitzvot. As it says, God is interested in our righteousness. So there's this magnification of Torah and beautification of Torah. So Harambam says, look, I, I need to explain to you what this means because you might get the wrong idea. I mean, you know, you ask an average person off the street and you say, oh, okay, Ratzah HaKadosh Baruch Hu Yisrael. God wants to give merit to Israel. Therefore, he made abundant the Torah and mitzvot. What does that sound like? It sounds like the more mitzvot I do, the more zichut I get, right? I mean, it's pretty simple. It's very easy to understand that from this reading. Arambam says, look, I want you to be careful not to make the mistake of thinking that. Let me explain, says Haramba. This is Haramba in the Perusha Mishnah. Obviously, it's a translation, it's Rav Kafir's translation. Haramba says, Look, <clears throat> one of the foundations of our faith, right, of our whole approach to Torah, if a person fulfilled, upheld, a mitzvah, one, from all the 613 mitzvot, karaui, as is appropriate, vikahogen, and as is fitting. Well, what does that mean, appropriate and fitting? Does it mean he did it according to halacha? No. It may require that as well, but that's not what Harambam means by fitting or appropriately. What is appropriate? Lo shataf imam He did the mitzvah with no ulterior motives, none. And that includes, by the way, to merit Olam Abba. It doesn't say that here, but I can prove that to you as well, from Hilchot Teshubah. No ulterior motives, not because you want Olam Abba, not because you want to get, uh, you want to protect yourself from anything bad happening, not because you want somebody to say, oh, look, he did such a nice mitzvah, not because you think if you do that, God's going to like you. None, none of that. No ulterior motives. You just do it because it's the right thing to do. You did it for its own sake, out of love for God. Just love. As I've explained, by doing that, a person merits Olam and Olam Abba is the place that you're closest with God. Lechen, therefore, Amar Bihananiyah said, that's why there's so many mitzvot. Why? I mean, the only reason there's so many mitzvot is because it betters the odds of getting one right. I mean, it's not possible with all these mitzvot, you can't get one right in your whole life. 
I mean, the chances are one time in your life, you're going to not be thinking too hard. You'll do it just out of feeling good and it'll be enough for you. That's all. Yeah, that's why we have so many because it betters the odds. Could you imagine if there's only one opportunity to do a mitzvah in life? Forget it. Nobody would make it. So now that we have so many of them, it betters the odds. Do you hear how Arambam is reading the Mishnah? He's not saying the more mitzvot you do, the better. It's true. The more mitzvot you do, the better the odds that you'll get one of them right. Yes. But it's not that there's this ticker tape or something that keeps running when every time you do a mitzvah, there's another, there's another you know, bingo that you've got up in the, in the heavens waiting for you. As people teach us and believe this so. So you see, I mean, it's not possible. You're not going to do one right in your whole lifetime. And once you do it, once you do ota mitzvah, you do that one mitzvah right, so then that gives your, your soul its life in Olam Abba. He goes, I'll prove it to you. There's a story in the Talmud about this. With Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradion, Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma. Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradion was, was really, uh, he was really living on the edge because what he was doing was teaching Torah in public at a time that the Romans said it was against the law to teach the Torah in public. So Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradion thought he was being a very big tzaddik by putting his life on the line and teaching Torah publicly. So Rabbi Hananiah ben Tradion visits his rabbi Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma in jail actually. And Rabbi Yosef ben Kisma says, you know Rabbi Hananiah, I'll tell you something, with the way that you're acting, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't wrap you up in a Sefer Torah and burn you in it. He said, what do you mean? Hashem Yazor. Rabbi Hananiah tells him Hashem Yazor. He just figures, you know, he's doing good. Rabbi Yosef says, I'm speaking to you things of logic and intelligence and you're telling me Hashem Yazor? You're taking your life into your hands. I don't know what you're thinking. What are you trying to be, some kind of martyr? And then all of a sudden, Rabbi Hanayam Tradion realizes that maybe he's a bit off on how he's thinking about his life and the good deeds, quote unquote, that he's doing. Now, the story only gets crazier from this point on. So Rabbi Hanayam Tradion says to Rabbi Yosef Ismail, he says, Mani He goes, oh my goodness. Well, if that's what you're saying, what do you think my, my status is with regards to Olam Abba? Rabbi Yosef and Kismat doesn't say, what do you mean? Look at you, how great you are, teaching Torah in public, risking your life. He doesn't say that. He goes, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't know. Did you ever do anything good in your life? I mean, was there ever like a deed that, notice what the language is. He says, was there ever a deed that came to you, that happened upon you? And the next crazy thing is that <laughs> Rabbi Hananiah doesn't say, what do you mean? I've been living my entire life doing mitzvot, studying to... No, he said, hold on, let me, let me think. He goes, there was one time. He goes, well, what, what was it? He says, there was one time, it was near Purim, and I had an entire purse of money set aside for all the mitzvot of Purim. Mishloach Manot, Matanot Lebionim, the Seudah, it was a lot of money. I put it all aside and I had a small purse of tzedakah in another purse. 
another and another person. And an ani, a poor person, came to the door and asked for money, and I picked up the wrong purse. I picked up the purse of Purim money, and I and I just gave it to him. I didn't even think. I just gave it because it was tzedakah. And he said, "Well, Biosibin Kisma says, well, if that's the case, my soul should be with yours in Olam Abba. That was that's that's good. That's a pretty major deed. It was pretty good." And that's what <laughs> that's how Rambam's proof to this entire thing. You read that story and you realize, I mean, what are they talking about? What kind of what? this is a Biosibin Kisma? Rabbi Haniyavet Radion, Rabbi Haniyavet Radion, had to sit and think what maaseh he did in his life that actually allowed him to marry Olam Abba. The man was, you know, learning in Torah his entire life, engaged in mitzvot his entire life. Yeah, so it makes a very big difference to be able to understand this. First of all, you recognize that mitzvot are not ends. They're means to other ends. The major end being a relationship with God that isn't based on ulterior motives. Just like you want to be able to have a loving relationship that is recognized as whole and complete because there are no ulterior motives involved. That one loves and acts from that love and nothing else. And that is more foreign to human beings than one might think and further out of our reach than one might think. And that's with other human beings, much less a God that we don't see, feel, touch. So yes, this isn't simple stuff that we're talking about over here. This is a serious endeavor. And mitzvot are meaningful in their quality not in their quantity, and mitzvot become mitzvot only within the context in which they were performed. For the last half hour, I want to read the Morei Nebuchim with you, because this will help to lock in that Harambam is not saying this by a haphazard nature. It is not some fly-by-night point that he's making on the side, but this is extremely important and consistent in the way that Harambam looks at things. And I will say, that people ask, what is the difference between our bit midrash, the way that we think, and the way that other people think? Perhaps, you know, the more, uh, what we might call, for lack of a better term, Haredi approach. Well, this is a fundamental difference. And it's important to recognize it. And once one recognizes principle, one can see what is contrary to this principle when it is when it is manifesting in the Jewish world. In other words, you will be able to see that this principle is not recognized by many people in the Jewish world. They look at it completely differently. They look at it as though it's some mechanistic situation where I do this and this happens and I do this and I incur you know, some kinds of uh, a whole number of chips that I get to be able to cash in one day. Every mitzvah, I've heard people say every mitzvah is another brick on the Beit HaMikdash and the, you know, the final Beit HaMikdash, you know, things like that, those kinds of things. And that is not, that is not this by any means, in any way. It's quite contrary to it, actually. And it's the wrong thing to teach children. It's the wrong thing to teach children. The more mitzvot you do, the more schar you get. What's right to teach children is pay attention to the mitzvot that you do. Do them with your heart. 
do them because it's the right thing to do. That makes a difference. So you can ask, you know, based on that Mishnah that we just read and Harambam's translate, you know, Harambam's explanation that we just read. Well, why are we doing all these other mitzvot? You're doing the other mitzvot because you're practicing. You never know which mitzvah is going to be the one. Every single mitzvah is an opportunity of a lifetime. And it is worthwhile being in the, involved in that practice of one's life because that practice helps develop the entire context of one's life. What are you busy doing? Are you busy practicing loving? Well, good. That's the right thing to do. And it makes all the difference. When we recognize that it's a question of covenant, it makes perfect sense as well. All right. Let's have a look at the Morena Bukhim. Now this Moreh, I'm not reading the entire chapter of the Moreh. We're going to dip in, in, in after the beginning of the chapter. And here what Harambam does at the beginning that we're not going to read is he talks about the wisdom of God in his creation of, of animals, creatures, right? So he says, look how wonderful these bodies are and how everything is designed so well. You know that classic you know, argument that everything is designed with such wisdom, yeah? Okay. So he, he begins with that. And then he says the following. He says, and you will see, for example, that everything is sensitive to stages and, and, and gradation, right? In terms of its development. And one of the things that you see that in is in mammals. Because the whole thing with mammals is that they have this offspring that is not yet ready to live on its own. Unlike reptiles, you know, a lizard has, you know, a lizard hatches and it's just ready to go, you know, runs off and does its thing. Not so with mammals. Mammals need care. Mammals are not able to eat, you know, regular food that they will later eat when they are fully developed. So mammals have developed in a way that they have this pre-digested food that is provided for the young until they get strong enough and are able to then develop and eat, you know, regular food that they will be eating for the rest of their lives. So he says that here. He says, Animals. That's what I meant. Yonkim are the suckling animals, right? Because when mammals are born, they're very soft. And the most extreme, I'm saying this, right? The most extreme of the soft mammals are humans. There is no mammal that has the, the childhood of humans, meaning in terms of time. We have the longest childhoods of any animal on the planet, which is absurd. But the reason why that is the case is because our brains are so big. Rambam doesn't say that, but that's the reason. In other words, human babies come out of the womb very early because their brains are so large, they can't stay in much longer. And so they have to come out essentially like fetuses and they have to be nurtured and nursed all the way until they're ready to be able to live life on their own, which is about until they're about 48 years old. So this is a big problem. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu, he created this system in the animal kingdom with the mammals and where there's this gradual growth into wholeness. Yes? Everybody following me? That's the point. 
there's this gradual growth into wholeness. And we see that in the mammals. And so they're given this, you know, this, this uh, food before they're able to by the mothers until they can actually have cereal, you know, with dry cereal. And from that, they graduate forward. Therefore, they have breasts that, are, that lactate and give milk. So that they have this very pre-digested food that is all their digestive system can take at the time. Until little by little, they become stronger, right? Uh, their limbs, little by little, they grow and become stronger. In a graduated state, right? In a leveled development. Now that introduction for Harambam is because what we need to do is talk about the fact that growth doesn't happen immediately. Growth happens in a graduated way. Growth happens in a leveled, deliberate, layered way. And so when we realize that, we realize a great principle. Right Now you think, what does this have to do with everything I said before? Listen, you'll see what it has to do with everything I said before. Because what we're going to see is that mitzvot are means to that end of growth. They are mechanisms that help towards the growth. They are not the growth. So have a look. In this very same way that I just described the mammalian situation to you. In the same way, things, many things were told to us in the Torah sensitive to the situation. What to what situation? That human beings grow. They grow physically, they grow mentally, they develop psychologically, and so happens. Not only do they do so individually, they do so collectively. So if you were to go back into human history 100 years, you would recognize that human beings have lower IQs. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be speaking with somebody on Thursday who wrote this book, Geography of Thought, Richard Nisbet, who he spent his entire life studying how people think. Basically, he spends his whole life thinking about how we think. And what he recognizes is that what he points out, not, not in that book, but what he points out is that before the Industrial Revolution, the general IQ of the human population was significantly lower. So it's interesting, right? Our whole psychological development carries on over time, not just in the, the individual lives that are lived by human beings. So sensitive to that, right, the Torah speaks to us that way. It speaks to us recognizing that we are primitive and that we have growth that we need to do. I mean, you cannot move from one extreme to another extreme in one fell swoop. And, And that also means that human beings cannot just drop cold turkey things that they have become deeply used to doing and thinking. It takes gradual growth. Now, right, which is exactly the Pesukim we just read. Now, when, when God sent Moshe to make us into a priestly nation, a holy people, he knew 
right? He's saying, look, I mean, he did it intentionally. He told us, look, you have been brought to know today that there is no other God than me. You'll know today and we bring it to your heart that I am God. And once that was created, right, we were set aside uniquely as a special people focused in covenant to the service of God. As it says, you serve him with all your hearts. You will serve the Lord your God. You serve him and nothing else. We knew at that time that that was not going to be an easy move. Because we were used to not doing that. I mean, we may have served him with other things, but to say nothing else, just him? Well, that wasn't going to be an easy move. I mean, it was very well known in the world at that time. The general service to any deity that we were raised on I mean, was to bring our, our domesticated livestock and, and slaughter it to these deities in these temples. I mean, that, that's what, everybody did that. Everybody did that. I mean, we recognize that that's part of the human condition, by the way. It's not just something that one particular culture thought. Go to the Mayans and the Incans that had no connection to the Fertile Crescent, and they were doing the same thing. It's the same thing, same instinct throughout the predatory animal kingdom. You know, you have cats that kill these mice and bring them to their masters. Oh, here, I got you a gift. Here's my my dead mouse. Right? What do you think? That has nothing to do with korbanot? That has everything to do with korbanot. That's exactly what korbanot are. And so HaKadosh Baruch Hu realized, okay, that's part of the human condition. And it's very important to understand that God didn't bump into human beings and say, oh my gosh, what are these things? I guess I, I'm going to have to figure out how to deal with these people. No, he created the human beings. This is the way that he created us. So he recognized, look, the way that we go about serving a deity is by slaughtering our domesticated livestock and giving it up to that deity because our domesticated livestock is our wealth. It's our life, it's our food, it's our business, it's our clothing, it's our coverings, it's everything, it's everything. I'm going to give that, that's a hugely valuable asset, I'm going to give that to God. So he said, yeah, that's great, you can keep doing that, keep doing that, but you can't do it to anybody else. You have to do it to me now, and no one else. So he said, you know, all of this, this bowing to them, and you know, you would light incense also to these gods. The great people, the, the elite of the people were the, the priests of these things, you know, in these services. All of that, that whole system, God didn't eradicate the system. He didn't come in and say, look, now I'm, I'm God now, and we're going to throw all that out. He didn't do that. What he did was say, I'm God now. All that stuff that you guys are doing, do it to me. Nobody else. So there was, instead of an eradication of something what's deeply fundamental to the human condition, it was guided towards a better aim. Not a foreign aim. A local focused aim, which was 
God, the one with, with whom we have covenant. And so there were mitzvot created for that purpose. To help move and graduate towards God with what it is that we were already doing. Everybody following? You with me? That's what Haram is saying over here. Why? Reason that happens is is He didn't command us to leave all of it. No, we wouldn't have been able to handle it at that time. What are you talking about? How do we not do that? It was it was deeply ingrained in us. It, you know, Harambam said, I'll, I'll give you an example of what it would be like. It would be like somebody, a Navi coming to us today and saying to us the following. Asked us to serve God and said, look, God has now commanded you to think only of him. Don't pray. Don't fast. Don't call out to him in your times of trouble. Don't do any of that, you know, religious stuff. None of that prayer stuff that you guys like to do. None of that. Just focus your minds. Just think. No actions. Could you imagine how we would do with that? How would we manage with that? It would be, uh, to say the least, awkward. And we probably would mess up with it all the time because we'd be so used to doing it. So that's the way that we would normally act. That's what it would would have been like for the people to have been told, no more korbanot. So what he did instead was he guided it, channeled it away from all kinds of projected images that we made up to him, right? From things that had no truth to be guided instead towards his name and therefore commanded us to do them to him. Therefore, he commanded us to make a special place where this could happen. The Beit HaMikdash. And we should have the altar set up in his name. And that the sacrifices that were brought were brought to him. Which just read last week. When we bow, we bow to him. When we burn incense, we burn them before him. All of it is us to him. And he commanded us and warned us not to do it to anyone else. That was the problem. Don't do it to anybody else. I'm not telling you got to stop. What I'm saying is you can do it to me, not to anyone else. You do it to someone else that is foreign. That is what we call zara, And that is foreign worship. And if you're worshiping anything other than me, that's not cool. And I'm not going to stand for it. And that's what it was. Now, what does that tell me? That tells me, first of all, it tells me that the goal in all of this 
was to pull me away from Abu Dazara and to aim me towards my relationship with God. What's the end? The end is a relationship with God. The means is my human behaviors towards deities. The goal is not that behavior. The goal is the connection. The behavior is what helps create the connection. The behavior is a means, not an end. Yes? Now you can imagine what happens when the means become ends. Well, that's a bad thing. That's actually a really bad thing. Because if the means become the ends, that means that the true end is no longer the end. And we've lost the plot, as we like to say in this country, one of my favorite terms. We lost the plot. And that and the, the amazing thing is that all God says in the rest of the books of the prophets about korbanot is, you lost the plot. Don't do me any favors. You can shut the whole thing down and you can keep your, your animals. Keep your little cows to yourselves. Really, I, I promise you, I'm not interested in your barbecues. So he writes, The whole point was to establish firmly this major ideal, fundamental idea. And what is that? The knowledge of God and His unity and our connection to that. Now listen to what he says. He's writing, remember, this is the morning of Bukhim. He's writing this to his student, who's his elite student. Right? He didn't write this just to anybody. This is the same student that Harambam at the beginning of the Moray Nebuchim says, I'm telling you, my dear student, that it is more important and valuable to me to say something to you and get you to understand it than to speak to thousands of people. Biodeani says to him, now I know what I just said to you is going to be a tough pill to swallow. Because I know what you're going to tell me. I see that your, your soul will reel back from what it is that I'm saying to you. You're going to say, I think my Rav has lost his mind. I, I'm, I'm no doubt that that's how you're going to feel. In your first thought. It's going to be difficult for you to understand. And you will ask me, and you'll say to me, look, you're telling me that this is all means to an end? That these are just vehicles towards something else? If that's the case, why are they so meticulous in their law? Why are there so many details? And wouldn't it be enough to just do this with broad strokes? They're so detailed in such specific times, in specific ways. You're telling me all of them are not ends in and of themselves? They're not themselves goals? Did bring me something else? I mean, it's as if it's some kind of like cunning uh, plan that God had. Kadesh Yasik, so that he could get what his ultimate goal was. Well, that's true, yes. And you'll ask me, Mamone, this is a key, a key question people ask all the time. Why don't you just tell us to do the thing that he wants us to do? Instead of telling us to do things that try and get me to do the thing that he wants me to do. 
So Harambam says, look, I know that that's what you're thinking. Listen to the answer. Shema Tushubatcha, I'm going to explain it to you. Asher tasir Listen to what he says. So that you can get the sickness out of your heart. Because what Harambam is saying is that for you to think this way about the mitzvot is a sickness. It's not just wrong. It's sick that you think this way. So I'm going to explain to you. And I'm going to explain to you, I'm going to expose to you what it is that, I, that I've begun to tell you about. Excuse me. He says, look, the Torah has already spoken this way. You're asking me a question, which really is not a question. You're saying to me, why didn't God just do what he wanted the end result to be? Really what you're asking me are, why are there processes? Well, the answer to that is there are processes. There's an element of the entirety of creation that develops. And development itself is part of creation. You cannot negate that. Recognizing that development is part of creation, the sensitivity of the maker to the development is quite sensitive. It's quite high. I'll give you an example of this, says Arambam. You see it all over the Torah, I'm going to give you a strong example, right? What happens when B'nai Israel leave Egypt? First thing it says, Parashat Peshalah is, they leave Egypt, we're told that God did not take them to the beeline, right? He didn't take them in the shortest distance, which is, would be a straight line into the land of Canaan. Why? Because that would have cut them through the land of the Plishtim. And what would have happened if they would have approached the land of the Plishtim is that they would have seen very clearly imminent war. And if they would have seen imminent war, immediately by coming out of Egypt, they would have turned around and went right back to Mitzrayim. They would see the war, the potential that war was going to happen. They just turn right around and go back to Egypt. Who needs to go into a war? Remember, these are weak, soft slaves. These aren't hardened soldiers. Can't bring them right into war the minute that I took them out of slavery. What do you think we're dealing with over here? What we need to do is to send them through boot camp in the desert because boot camp toughens you up. That's exactly what Abraham says over here. I'm paraphrasing because of the time. That's what he says. It's just naturally it doesn't work. You can't push a square peg to a round hole. It requires gentle, you know, shaving and and working through, and negotiating, and growth, and learning, and so on and so forth. That's what it requires. And that is the way that God's world works. And so the reason why he didn't give us the mitzvah of, I want you to think about me all the time, and be completely connected to me, and have no ulterior motives. The reason he didn't do that is because that's not how the world works. Try it. You'll fail. Every time. It is a steady process of growth. That's why Eric Fromm in The Art of Loving makes a point of saying it is an art. And what is an art? If not a continued practice, a diligent, vigilant attention to the craft itself. 
a constant learning and growing. So that's why. And if you're going to ask me, what's keeping him from commanding us what he wanted us to do? And yeah, I know you're thinking that too. He can not only command us to do what he wanted, but also give us the strength to do it. Yeah, well, I mean, what, what is that? What's the point of that? Robots? Undermines the entire, the entire endeavor. The point is that HaGadosh Baruch Hu tells us, this is what I would like you to do. You do it. And I have patience and understanding for the growth that you need in order to be able to do it, but I'm going to guide you. Because if I leave you to do whatever it is that you think you'd like to do, you will not get there. So no, I'm not letting you just continue sacrificing however it is that you want willy-nilly. I'm strongly focusing it. And I'm gradually focusing, because you'll see, like, what ended up happening was there was commands of sacrifices, but you were allowed to sacrifice wherever you wanted until the Bet HaMikdash was built. And Bet HaMikdash was built for some time, over 400 years after leaving Egypt. It was gradually restricted and constricted and focused. And so nobody could do it. You couldn't just do it. You, had, you needed a Kohen to help you. You couldn't just do it in your backyard anymore. You had to go up to Jerusalem. It wasn't easy. God didn't make it easy. And by doing that, it weaned us and allowed us to grow, which is what you do with a child who is suckling as an infant. You don't just stop cold turkey. There is a weaning process. And the reality is, is that we are constantly weaning off of something if we are growing. And as long as we are alive, we are growing. Or we have opportunity to grow. So what Harambam is saying over here is that is the nature of the mitzvot. Don't make a mistake. The nature of the mitzvot are mechanisms to help us get to the goal. And what is the goal? To know God. That's the goal. Take a look what he writes down here. He says, The whole point is just that you grasp me. You get me. That you don't serve anything other than me. Not because I'm jealous, but because it's stupid. Why would you serve anything other than the source of being itself? Than the source of all things. Everything else is contingent on that thing. So does it make a difference whether I serve a star or my toilet? Of course not. They're made out of the same stuff. Literally. It's not a joke. I'm not exaggerating. Literally, it's the exact same thing. It's just a different format. That's all. It makes a difference? No, if you're not worshipping the source, you're worshipping something that is contingent on it. It doesn't matter what that thing is. And that's the whole point. So yes, it ends up being that when we end up doing the mitzvot, and I'm going to end with this, he writes later, the reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu starts ma- smashing us around the korbanot later on is because what ends up happening is that the means become the ends. 
You say, well, what will insure it? What, what insures against that? The preamble insures against that. The preamble insures against that. If you listen, then you don't do mitzvot that way. You realize that mitzvot are not to be done that way. And yes, it is important how you do them, not just that you do them. Because it is true that mitzvot can kill in the same way that they bring life. There's a pasuk in the Navi. I gave you laws that you will die away. They'll kill you if you do them the wrong way. I guarantee you. I'll show you the pasuk. You want me to show you the pasuk? I'll show you the pasuk. So you think I'm not just throwing stuff out there. That's not true. Take a look. Look at this. God talking to Yehazkel, I gave them laws that are not good, judgments that they will not live by. And you know what the Hachamim say about that? The Hachamim say, yeah, of course, that's when people follow mitzvot outside of the context that they were given. It's not just a no harm, no foul. It's destructive. Why? Because the ends become the, because the means become the ends. That's why. And so nobody talks about God anymore. And nobody thinks about the one who commanded them anymore. Nobody questions what it is that a person is doing in order to be able to maintain the connection and relationship and to grow towards it anymore. All it is is how many mitzvot are you doing? And how meticulous are you in doing them? And have you studied the laws? But the preamble, that we don't speak about often enough. And that is why it is possible, as Arambam teaches in Hilchot to do mitzvot and have them ripped up in our face. It is important to understand mitzvot are means to a greater end. And what is the end? To know God. To connect with Him in relationship with no ulterior motives. And the mitzvot are just mechanisms with which we can connect. That's all. But they are not ends in and of themselves. It's very important to, to understand that. So I'm going to read you the last words of Arambam just because it's much power, more powerful than I could ever say. And it's very simple. It's just his words. He says, I want you to understand that every time that the nation... Oh, I didn't share. Hold on. So I want you to understand that every time the nation is spoken to about this. When I spoke to you in the desert, did I say anything about Korbanot? My first speaking to you was the preamble. There's a pasuk in Yirmiyah. Look at it. On the day I... Oh, put it over here. Okay. I want to find over and over again. Yeah. Kilo dibarti zirmiya. Is that Gaush who's speaking? Lodi Barti et Avot Hemelotzibitim Biomotsiotameris Ram at the Vreo Lava Zava. Tell them, Yirmiya. I didn't speak to their fathers, nor did I command them on the day that I brought them out of Egypt about Korbanot. 
You want to know what I commanded them to do? To listen to me. And I would be their God. You'll be my nation. That's all I said. The Korbanot were only within that context. I didn't say anything about Korbanot. You think I really want their barbecues? So that's what he says over here. So Harambam says, why say on the day that I brought them out? Because on the day that I brought them out, I set the preamble. I set the context out. And I didn't mention that on the first day. I was very careful not to mention that on the first day. So therefore you see, the first command was not about korbanot. It wasn't even about mitzvot. It was just about the relationship. All the mitzvot are on the second path. They're on the they're the secondary element of the system. They're means, not ends. Same thing you find in Tilim, he quotes the Pasuk. So he says to him, so he says to him, every time that you see this mentioned anywhere in the Tanakh. Zohi Kavana. This is what it's saying. Don't keep your eyes off the target. Focus on the target. Recognize the means and the ends. And what is what? Havinehu me'od v'da'ehu. Understand it well and know it. The end. Yeah. So that's today. Today's principle. And we'll do something else next time. But I think that that's a very important one for us to remember and know. So I will answer questions if anybody has. Good. Well, I can, can yes. ask a question if no mm-hmm. one else has. Um, I, I have have this image from Pirkei Avot. I don't know exactly which Mishnah, but I'm, I'm sure you, um, you know what I'm meaning. Um, of this scale, yeah, where, where it's sort of weighing up the different mitzvot against the Averot. And uh, and I think the point there it's making is that we, we, we don't know the value of each mitzvah, right? right. Um, and But I think the, the message I've always understood from that is, you know, do as many mitzvot as possible, even the small ones, because you don't know that small one that you think is meaningless actually has a lot of value of it. And therefore the message... I took from it um, was that, you know, do all of them as properly as you can. Um, and then you're, you're sort of, you know, then you get the point. Um, and I, I'm, I'm wondering how, I don't know if you know that Mishnah I'm referring to. Uh, I do, I do know that Mishnah. Right. So um, I don't know how maybe in this context. Well, you're reading I'll... one thing into it respectfully, Avi. Yeah. You're reading the amount into it. Because what the Mishnah says is, hashev kala You should value a light quote-unquote mitzvah equally to a heavy one. Why? Because you don't know the rewards that a mitzvah holds. Why? Precisely that reason. You don't recognize the context within which a particular mitzvah may be performed and therefore it's qualitative power. It has nothing to do with quantity. It has to do with don't pick and choose your mitzvot because you have no idea what you're doing. Every mitzvah is an opportunity of a lifetime that I mentioned. 
Every mitzvah is an opportunity of a lifetime because you don't know. You think it'll be Haniyam and Tradion realized that that was going to be his ticket to Olam Abba, that guy who knocked at the door? No. So what the, what the Mishnah is saying is don't think that you understand the accounts. You don't understand the accounts. You have no idea which mitzvah is going to be the mitzvah or which mitzvah is going to, to be the moment in which you ha- are able to do it with your full heart. Don't start quantifying mitzvot based on, yo, this is a big one, this is a small one. By the way, Harambam, you know Harambam's perush to that mishnah. He said, what is a mitzvah kala? He gives an example. What is a light mitzvah? He says, learning Hebrew. Midat Lashona Kodesh. Learning the Lashona Kodesh, which is different than Hebrew technically, but still. Fascinating. All right? So he says, look, don't mess around. You recognize that these are all means to an end. So if you think that you recognize the ends, don't make that mistake. That's what that Mishnah is saying. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Jack. Um, firstly, thank you. That was, that was fascinating, mind-blowing. Secondly, um, just a, two-part, a two-parter. Does it relate to what we discussed last time about the time of the mitzvah being something that's fundamentally then to connect us? And so it's something that we will on some level find some attachment to. Um, And then I guess... the Well, hold on. So I'll answer that. Hold on. The connection that we mentioned last time with regards to Hukim and the giving of Tom is in order that there should be a greater sense of relationship and connection, yes, to the mitzvah, that I, I feel a connection to the mitzvah. I feel like the mitzvah is something that I recognize and relate to. So it's part of it in that sense. But I wouldn't confuse the two as being the same thing. Yes. Where we get to a point where now, um, you know, a lot of the things that might have appealed to man back in the day doesn't necessarily we don't we're we're quite removed from that now and so we have a lot of mitzvot that might not have um might not naturally appeal to our sensibilities and so therefore not only are just means to an end but actually have become quite ineffective means to an end do you want to give me an example no <laughs> I, don't, I was thinking pesach but I, I don't know what the reason for the for the for instance, korbanot, right? So if we're talking about bringing korbanot back, that's the classic question, you know. Are korbanot coming back in the third Beit HaMikdash? Yeah, so again, so I, be- I really, really, really do not get that question. I don't buy it. Because I think that it, it, it very cavalierly dismisses the fundamental nature of the human condition. People don't understand when they feel like, you know, I could go vegan, that suddenly they are canceling, to use our culture, cultural words, that suddenly they are canceling millions of years of evolution, of predatory behavior. I'm not saying that a person cannot become vegan. What I'm saying is, if that a person thinks that human beings do not have a primal drive towards predation and the relationship that we have to the animal and meat that's just to me ignorant it's ignorant 
Now, what you did say, which I recognize, is that we are removed from it. So we are removed from. We still love barbecues. Let's let's you know. Let's not pretend that that's not that's not true. I mean, overall, people get very excited over barbecues. Some don't, but many people do. The problem is, is that we actually think that those patties of meat that you purchase in these nice little styrofoam, you know, pl- trays with plastic wrap around it, is how those things ended up creating, you know, coming into the world. We forget that those little patties are ground up flesh of a cow. And we're still doing it on mass. You know, you got, I don't know about you guys. You guys don't necessarily have relationship to Shrita, but I mean, I, I have to oversee the, the board of Shrita as part of my job. I now ask other people to do it for me, but I've visited the avatar more than once. I've put my hand inside the carcass of a, of a bull very, very happily. I'm a Kohen. I have no problem with that. And I had, a, I had steak the next day. I don't have an issue with it. It's personally, I don't have an issue with that. But the reality is that we have removed ourselves, but nonetheless interact with it every single day, which is much worse because now we look at animals as nothing more than units of food. Nobody pays attention when they sit down to have a wonderful steak at a lovely restaurant that they're eating a bull. Nobody thinks of that. Nobody actually thinks of it. But that's exactly what's going on. So we've taken this whole concept of korbanot and we've thrown it into an abattoir and we've made a dinner and lunch instead of something that is a much more exalted way of, of approaching God. And for that matter, a much more respectful and intimate and sensitive relationship to the animal. We don't even look at that. We have no sense of what, what it is, what the animal, the whole experience of, of, of eating an animal is. I'll tell you, some of the most, I'm saying this honestly, some of the most sensitive, kind, uh, empathic people I have met are people who slaughter animals all day long because they have a sensitivity to life and to the animal nature that we are. So this silliness that people talk about in their nice little academic settings that we don't need korbanot anymore and we're not going to look for them anymore, that's because they have completely divorced themselves from humanity and the fact that we're animals on this planet and that we are predators and that we were predators for the majority of our history on this planet. That doesn't just go away by a snap of the fingers and sudden urge to be vegan. Next question. Um, I have a question. Yes. Isn't, aren't you minimizing the Rambam's Hakdama to Perchelik, where he emphasizes being Ovid Miyura as an important stepping stone in your development? Why would, should... I be, why would I be under, under, under counting that? You, you said in the first half of this year that when you tell a child to do things, it shouldn't be for schar and stuff like that. But he says explicitly there that... No, you I didn't to... say that. That's not what I said with respect, Alexander. That's not what I said. What, what I said was you shouldn't tell a child to do mitzvot because doing another mitzvah is better. That's all I said. I said what you should tell a child is to do mitzvah because it's what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants of you. That's what you should tell them. Now, if there needs to be your ah that's involved in it at the beginning, so, and by the way, what you're quoting, it's not being, what Harambam says about all of that is davar ze migune. He says it right there, the part that you're quoting. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't need to do it because that's exactly the same place where he says one has to be gradually honed into what the goals are. So you tell a child you do this because otherwise it's a problem. 
Now, the truth of the matter is what it is that HaKadosh, what uh, Harambam says over there is the way to get a child to do it is to tell them, do this, and I'll give you something for it. Just, I mean, also in the Morn of Uchim, he emphasizes that the mitzvot cultivate moral virtue and intellectual virtue. And they develop society. Yes. So when, should, one, should one be thinking like that the covenant, that the, when they do a mitzvah, it's vis-a-vis the covenant that cultivates virtue for themselves? Is that, is that also important? Or Are you saying that the purpose of the covenant is that it cultivates virtue? That's the purpose yeah. of the covenant? Is that, yeah, is that, is that correct? Is that a correct viewpoint? Did you see that in the preamble? I mean, you didn't mention that it, for it's, it's for Shlema Sa'adam, that by doing the mitzvot... So What's the purpose it. of the Shlemuta Adam, Alexander? Uh, to know God, right? There you go. Good. Bingo. That's the purpose of the covenant. To know God. In order to be able to be close to God, one needs to be Shalim, as much as they can. But Shlemuta Adam is not a goal in and of itself. It's for the purpose of Yediyat Hashem. And that's the goal. Does that make sense to you? All right, thank you. Okay. Nati. Thank you, Rabbi, for the beautiful shir. Um, when the Rambam goes guns blazing in the Gerat Hashpand against the Rav who said, now that you broke the connection with Hashem, you don't, your mitzvot don't even count. And he says, no, do the mitzvot. How would that uh, work with this? Yeah, uh, so what you're referring to is that a person, even the smallest mitzvah that a person does, there's sechar or he's going to be judged on not doing it and so on and so forth. That is true, but that has to do with judgment and having to do with listening to God. It's a question of deen. A person transgresses a mitzvah, of course there's a deen involved. Why? Because like Allah commanded you to do it. Harambam is not talking about that. Harambam is talking about olam abba. What is it that... Uh, that allows for a person or provides for a person access to Olam Abba. What does that? One mitzvah done right. The fact that you don't listen to God and you transgress his mitzvot or so on and so forth, well, I mean, you need to do Teshubah for those and it requires Kabbara and there's judgment and so on and so forth. Why? Because you didn't listen. That's why. Right, the but question I would say we're that... talking about is what is the ultimate goal of it? What is the ultimate purpose that it is meant to bring us? That does not obviate the fact that if you don't listen to the instructions, you get reprimanded and dealt with for not listening to the instructions. Right? There are rules of driving, correct? What are, why, why are there rules for driving? Keep the road I'm safe. I'm asking, why are there laws for driving? To keep the road safe. Correct. Now, let's say I do something in my car that at two in the morning that there's no other cars on the road, but break the law. And there happens to be a police officer that sees me do that, and they give me a ticket. Are they doing an appropriate act by giving me a ticket because I broke the law when there's absolutely no harm, no foul in what it is that I did on the street at that moment? Of course they are. Of course they are. And that's because there are laws. And the laws do not go away just because the ultimate purpose of the law is not manifest in one particular situation. But you could argue two, that two different one, things. There's two, you're, you're, you're conflating two two points. The fact right, that no, but I'm all, asking you could you could one could argue that when you once you didn't give up your life for Kiddush Hashem, it, basically you broke the connection. You're doing the mitzvot as something that's not in light of the special connection that you have with Hashem. The the Rav there and the Geret Hashmad is saying your mitzvot don't count as anything. Why? Because you took yeah, because, it out. Of, 
Correct. What the what the Rav is saying is that because you have had to do a mitzvah to save your life, or you had to do a, you know stop doing mitzvah, or do an avirah in order to be able to save your life, you, none of the mitzvot that you do are meaningful anymore. Right. And what he's and what the Rambam is saying is that that's not true. If your reasoning for doing any mitzvah that you do is because of Kadosh who commanded the mitzvah, okay, then it doesn't matter which mitzvah you do. Do you understand? Right. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Robert. I guess, isn't there a danger that someone will say, well, look, I understand that the ultimate purpose of the mitzvah is to connect and, and uh, get close to Hashem, and I can do that without the mitzvah. How do we avoid people falling into that trap, I guess? I don't know how a person is doing that without the mitzvah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, this is the way. So... This is the yeah, he said this is the only way, as it were. It's the only way for the Jewish people in this covenant to connect. It's the only way. Nobody's talking about having a general relationship with God. This is a question of this specific covenant that was not made with any other people. It's with us. And in this covenant, these are the mechanisms that provide connection. So if a person wants to say, well, I can do it by myself in my own way, well, that's fine. Maybe you can, but not within this covenant and not as a member of the nation of Israel in defined that the, in the definition of the Torah provides it. You're opting for some other kind of program. I mean, okay, good luck, but it's not this. Nor is it Judaism, by the way. One cannot simply say, well, I'm going to connect and call whatever it is that I feel like Judaism. There are very clear definitions of what the nature of this covenant is with Israel and God, and what the mitzvot are in the context of that covenant, and, you know, that's what it is. I'm not so saying presumably... that another person doesn't have an opportunity to be able to have some level of relationship with God, but that's not what we're talking about over here. We're talking about this covenant. We're talking so, about so, how so... it is that we connect in this sense with God. And then presumably, even for, for, for the non-Jews, they indeed have a, also have a covenant. They have the no. I don't know covenant. what covenant they have. There's no evidence for that. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Maybe they do, but I don't. I don't know what it is. So there may be, not that we know of. Testament is not covenant. Mm. There's a big difference. The covenant with Israel is manifest in this world in this life, in our history, not somewhere else. So that's, that's all we know. That's all we know. There are right. times where God's made covenants with individuals, different things. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this, this covenant that we have with God. That's all that really interests us for our purposes. It's also people think that the Torah is this book that's meant to enlighten the entire world. It's not. If it's done that, it's done so in an ancillary way. The purpose of the Torah is only for the covenant. And what it says in the Torah is only for the covenant. It's very focused. It's very specific. Mm. Okay. Thank you. Rav, can I ask a question? You, Sina! Absolutely not. What do you mean? You do everything else. This is not, you're not allowed to ask questions. The hand uh, piece doesn't work for me. Oh, so well, we worked that out on purpose. I'm just kidding. What is it? What is it? Uh, yeah, I'm sure. 
Um, first of all, thank you very much. Um, my question is, at what point in Jewish history did this shift occur where mitzvot were deemed as being ends in and of themselves? It's, it's as <laughs> old as the Beit HaMikdash and the Korbanot. I mean, never went away. It's always part of the human condition. That's why you see God saying, who needs your Korbanot? It's the same thing. It's just a different mitzvah. It's as old as time. It's always been there. So it's a so human, human tendency more than... Uh... It's the same thing. It's like saying, how, when did the shift change that people love for ulterior motives? Mm. Or when yeah. people look for shortcuts. Welcome to humanity. Hannah Valeria. Thank you very much, Rabbi Dweck. You've relieved a bunch of questions I've, I've been suffering with for about five years. So I'm, you have no idea how grateful All I am. All in a day's work. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm very yeah. relieved. You have no idea. So I just, a little follow-up question. So basically when you tell a child you should do X, Y, and Z because that's the right thing to do, is that an internalized value? You know, is that an internalized mitzvah or are, we missing, are you missing that context? Is it a what mitzvah? I didn't understand the word. Like an, an, an internalized mitzvah now? Or is it, do you feel, would you say it's a missing the covenants? It's missing the point. It's no, not, I don't uh, think it's missing the point. And I think that we have to recognize in that we pointed out that children also require training. So they they go from gradual to more. So to say to them, this is the right thing to do. Why? You could say, because, you know, God commanded this and this is what, you know, is the right thing as a Jewish person to do. There's nothing wrong with that. Does mm -hmm. it internalize it? It takes time for that to happen. I mean, it has to be consistent and that knowledge mm -hmm. has to grow and develop mm -hmm. itself, right? And what it is that that means that it's the right thing to do. What is the, why, why is it the right thing to do? So that happens with time. Mm -hmm. It's okay to tell children, by the way, I noticed that parents are concerned about, especially new parents. And people used to ask me, they still do, but, you know, especially when I was in the school, but they still write to me about this all the time, because usually a three, four-year-old starts to ask about God and, you know, all mm -hmm. these kinds of things. It is okay to say to a child, you will understand this more as you get older. So you can give a, an answer that is right for their age and say to them, keep thinking and we will talk about this as you grow, you will have better understanding of it. And you can say, I too had better understanding as I got older. And that teaches a child patience. It's very important. It's very important that a child should understand that learning happens over time and that there needs to be patience and commitment to learning. It's very important. Mm -hmm. It's one of the reasons, um, and I'm going to end with this because it's getting late. Uh, Rabbi Yaakov Weinberg, who was a Rosh Yeshiva of uh, Ner Israel Rabbinical College in Baltimore, uh, he really didn't like Sesame Street. And the reason why he didn't like Sesame Street was because Sesame Street taught children that learning is always fun. And it's not. It's not. Sometimes you have to plow through a ton of stuff that just is not fun, right? It's just that you need to learn it. <laughs> anyway, whether it was extreme to not like Sesame Street or not is another question, but that was his concern, right? So it's very important mm -hmm. to pay attention because the things that we teach children sticks. Mm -hmm. That's why Haram Bam writes, for example, you never teach children to lie. Don't lie to them and don't teach them to say things that are lies. You teach them to lie. So be very careful about, you know, we have to be very careful. Mm -hmm. about it. 
All right. I was asking from a personal perspective because this is what I was taught as a child that there, and stayed throughout my growing is that there are certain things that's the right thing to do without necessarily that having. And there are many things that my parents still do that they don't know having not I have not didn't grow up in an outwardly religious family that it's called a mitzvah, but they know that that's the right way. They just doesn't occur to them. You know what I mean? So that's good. It is good. It's not a bad thing. But I, I'm I'm saying that that needs to grow as well. That, that needs to go. Thank All you. right. Thank, thank, you, thank you so much. It's ten o'clock. Thank you for your time. Yes, it is. Marvelous class. Um, and we look forward to seeing everybody next week. Um, thank you so much. It's it's late, and we appreciate Thanks. it, Rabbi. Thank you. Good night, everybody. Thank you.